Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 to 7. I'm reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Trinity. Was that not amazing? Our band is good, right? <clears throat> yes, yes. It is good that we give them um, some thanks. I want to brag for a second on our youth. Uh, our youth are heavily involved in everything that we do here. And uh, all of us, we benefit from what our youth do. We've got some in the sound booth right now running sound. We've got some running the slides this morning. You saw some of our youth up here doing the praise band before this service. We had some of them spraying down the chairs and making sure that everything was sanitized. We have people come in through this week and clean. And our, our youth are just sacrificial and they serve this church really well. And I just want you guys to know that. And as a church, can we give them some thanks? On top of everything that they do, they are also very busy in studying God's Word. And uh, recently we've been doing a study ca called Deeper. And it's an online approach to discipleship. And so they watch a video lecture and then do some self-based study throughout the week. And uh, then we have some interaction in a forum where we can answer some questions. And in week four of our last deeper study that we did, there was a question that was asked that just struck me. And I want to read it to you. It says, Which works of the flesh listed in Galatians 5, 19-21 are the most evident in our culture? How are they promoted and encouraged? So let's read Galatians 5, 19-21 together. It says, and it'll be on the screen for you. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, and hatred, discord, jealousy, 
fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me ask you, church, a question. Which one of these to you, which one of these works of the flesh to you is the most evident in our culture? I've got them listed up here in kind of bulleted points so you can kind of see. And I'm going to give you a second so you can look at the list. Which one of these works of the flesh do you think is the most evident in our culture? I'll give you a second. So it's certainly true that every one of these works of the flesh is evident in our culture. We can see these played out in our society today, right? But, and it's alright that you and I are probably going to come to a different one of these, right? There's not one specific answer because they're all played out in our culture. But I'm going to give you my answer. My answer, the one that summarizes our list and is the most obvious in our culture to me, is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition can be defined as motivation to elevate oneself or put one's own interests before another's. And we live in a society and a culture today that promotes individuality and independence and the esteeming of oneself. We make up our own rules, right? And we're the captain of our own ship. We're our own authorities, right? No one can tell us what to do. You and I must realize and approach Peter's words, understanding that we're living at a time within history that the history books will be talked about how self-centered we are as a people right now. We live and we move and we breathe within a society that tells us no one can tell you what to do. You're your own authority. But here we have Peter 2,000 years ago. He steps in and he tells us that God has orchestrated and designed the authority figures that are within your life. Within my life. In our passage today, Peter is going gonna to meddle in our business. He's going to get personal. He gives us instructions on how we're to act within our marriages. Peter, in this passage, he's going to invade your most personal relationship. And he's going to give you and I commands on how we're to act. Peter comes into our homes and he sits in our living room in this passage. Now, we're about to get into our text this morning, but there are five thoughts that I think that are very important for us to have as we go into this text. So these are five thoughts. And I'm going to apologize up front. There's a lot of lists within this sermon. But the way that the text works out, I think it's, it's, it's organized this way. So I'm going to start with this. So there's five thoughts I think we need to have as we go into this. So the first thought. Early Christianity was countercultural because of how women were honored and treated. One of the big reasons the church exploded was because of the role that women played. They were vital. The Greco-Roman world, they were not concerned with how women were treated. They, 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 treating women fairly was not on their radar. It was not something that was important to them. It was not a concern for them. Matter of fact, women were treated as ownership, right? You owned them. They were items. And then Christianity took off, and the role of women that, that women played within the church was hugely countercultural. The early church flourished largely because of the role that women played. Many of the New Testament authors, they know this, and they take effort to thank women and honor women. Matter of fact, in just one chapter, Romans 16, Paul lists ten women by name. These authors speak about and esteem 
women. And that was countercultural. That was revolutionary. Our text, when Peter wrote it, it was not about oppressing women. Our text today, as we read it today, it is still not about oppressing women. Two, the second thing that we need to know is Peter is addressing these women directly. One of the ways that we know that Peter is honoring women here is he is talking directly to them. Guys, this is a big thing. Peter, notice that he's not saying, hey men, I'm going to tell you this, and then you need to go tell your wives this. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying, hey, go give them my message. He's not saying, be sure to tell them how to act. Make sure your wives know that Peter is telling them to submit to you. That's not what he's saying. No, Peter, in in these words, he sees women as co-heirs of Christ and full members in the kingdom. The women were not required to stay at home while the men listened to Peter's words and get all of Peter's message secondhand. No, Peter speaks directly to them. They were worthy of receiving Peter's message straight from him. Right, right there alongside the men. Guys, this was countercultural for the day. Peter was married. This is something that we often forget, but it is true, and I think it is very big for us to remember that Peter was married. In Matthew 8, we read of a story when Jesus goes into Peter's home, and who is sick? Peter's mother-in-law. And Jesus touch her, touches her and, um, and heals that fever that is within her. We never got um, Peter's wife's name, but we do know for sure that he was married. And this is important. And the reason it's important is we need to remember that these authors dealt with the same struggles that you and I deal with. Peter's encouragement to us was also an encouragement to himself and to his bride. His commands to us were also a command for him and his bride. Peter was not ignorant of the difficulties of marriage. Four, Peter struggled with submission at times. And if you know much about Peter, you know that he had his fair share of mess-ups. He had a knack for saying and doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, and, but I love Peter because what we see in Peter is that even though he messes up, he quickly repented and would move on. He would quickly repent and move on in his, in his ministry in Christ. Every time Peter messes up, he corrects himself and he gets back to serving the Lord. And what Peter shows us in his life is the need for daily repentance. Even he had struggles with full submission to the Lord at times, yet he was always ready to repent and conform himself and his lifestyle to the Word of God. Which brings us to our last point, the last thing that you need to know before we get into our text this morning is these are God's words. Our text this morning, our passage this morning, is straight from God. And I'm convinced that it's even possible for Christians at times to lose the awe and the amazement and the wonder and the sense of supernatural when we hear God's Word read. These are not words from a recent magazine telling you eight ways of how to have a happy marriage or a joy-filled marriage. This is not from a magazine. This is from God Himself. These are God's words. And if you and I want to have a godly marriage, a marriage that honors your Savior and your spouse, Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us how to do that right here. 
We must conform ourselves to God's Word. And all Scripture is a call to action, right? All Scripture, everywhere we go, it's a call to action. And this passage is no different. All right, so you ready? We're going to get in our passage. Um, my wife and I went out on a date on Friday night. I've already given her flowers and candies and chocolates, so we are good to go into this. Um, I'm just joking, um, kind of. <laughs> All right, so let's pray and then we'll look at the text. Father in heaven, you are good to us, and it is an amazing thought that the God of all of this universe cares about our marriage. It's an amazing thing that the God of, of all of this universe, of this world, and that has placed the planets in, in, in place, that he looks down and he cares about us having joy in our marriage. Father, it's an amazing thing to think about, and it is something that we have to submit to and surrender to. And Father, I pray that we do just that. I pray that during this week as I have prepared for this, that I, I present a, a message that is rightly dividing your word. Father, as people hear your word, I pray that they are, if they need to be, they, they're convicted and change. Father, may their hearts be conformed to what you have to say. We love you, Lord. Please be with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, first verse. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. There are three things that we need to look at right here. Wives, same way, and submit yourselves. Peter will start with giving his command, and then he's going to launch into why the command is so vital. So right here in verse 1, in this first part of verse 1, he's given the command, right? And then for the next six verses, he's going to go through and walk us through why this verse is so vital, why this command is so vital. Okay, so the first word that we see in verse 1 is wives. Chapter 3's first six verses are addressed to wives, not to husbands. And so husbands, I would caution you right now from like nudging your wife and asking her to listen. Okay, that's, that's a rookie move. She, she knows, she loves the Lord, she's going to be listening this morning. And if there are any newly uh, young or newly married men here listening today, listen, you don't need amen during this portion, okay? Us men are not always the easiest people to submit to, right ladies? Um, maybe one of the worst rookie moves that we can make is to remind them of this passage or other passages like that when, the, when we're in the middle of the battle, right? So men, these first six verses are directed to our wives. I see some of you getting, getting a little bit closer during this time. Allow them to work out this message with, between them and the Lord. This is not easy stuff. This is not easy stuff at all. And we men need to remember that verse 7, that's addressed to us, it's coming up. Right? And wives, don't nudge your husbands during that verse either, okay? So, moving on. Wives, in the same way, in the same way as what? Remember that this passage doesn't just spring up upon us. Submission is a major theme for Peter all throughout his book. And two weeks ago, Jeff preached a sermon about submission to our governmental authorities. And last week, Jason has um, preached a sermon about being commendable in Christ through submission to the authorities that God has placed in your life. And this week, Peter talks to us about submission within our homes. 
Let's look back at 1 Peter 2.13 that started all of this submission passage. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. In this verse, Peter is setting up the submission section of his book. He's going to show us that God has designed his world with authority figures. We all have authority figures in our lives. And God has placed them in there for a reason. And Peter is talking about how we can live a holy life with inside of God's good design. And I want you to see that Peter here is going from big authority, like that of a government a figure, like an emperor, to medium authority, like that of a boss or someone outside of your home, to small authority, like that of your spouse inside of your home. Look at, uh, at 1 Peter 2.13 again. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Do you see now why our submission is for the Lord's sake? It's because when we fight against this submission, we're fighting against God's design for us. When we live a life that's submitting to the authorities that God has placed in our lives and honoring them, we live a life that is honoring to God. Our submission to these authorities is ultimately for the Lord's sake. Submission to authority is largely a matter of, matter of attitude, right? In our passage, what Peter means by this in the same way is this. We're to have an attitude towards all authorities, whether it's big or small in our lives, that recognizes that submission to these authorities is ultimately and primarily for the Lord's sake and secondarily for the relationships that we have. So our pri the primary purpose for authority of the relationships that God has placed in your life, the, the authorities that God has placed in your life, primarily it's for a vertical relationship and secondarily for the horizontal relationship. If we get this right, this will be just fine, right? So wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what this means so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a quick list of five things that submitting to your husband is not. Submitting to your husband is not. This is a list of five things that submitting to your husband is not. This is adapted from John Piper and Wayne Grudem, and I think it's very good. And if any of you guys are interested in the resource, uh, you can see me afterwards. But number one, submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Wives, your husbands can never take the place of Christ in your life. Verse 21 of the previous chapter, it tells us that we are called to follow in Christ's steps through obedience. Your husband does not come before Christ. And if he is trying to lead you into some obvious sin, you have the obligation to disobey. In Acts 5.29, it's Peter that says we must obey God rather than men, right? So this is Peter's words. And you probably know it better than anyone else, but your husband is not God. And even though you are called to submit to his leadership, Christ is first. Two, submission is not agreeing on everything. And guys, it is all right to tell your wives that she was right. And if you've been married for a day, you know that she is often right. Three, 
Submission does not mean that a wife should give up efforts in influencing, influencing or guiding her husband. This whole passage, the reason Peter is writing this right here, is so that you can influence your husband, so that you can guide your husband, and you can do it well. Four, submission is not based on lesser intelligence or competence or character or spiritual maturity. Amen to that. Five, godly submission will never be oppressive. It will never be oppressive or violence. Violent. Jason said this last week, and I think it's very, very important to mention again, that Peter is not calling women to put up with abuse or oppression in any way. If this is the situation that you have found yourself in, or if you know of someone that is in that kind of a situation, flee that situation. That is not God's will. That is not what Peter is saying here. Find help, seek help, seek help from us, the other authorities that God has placed in your life, like the, that of the police, that's why they're there. Yes, God calls women to submit to their husbands, but not to abuse. Not to abuse. That is not God's will for any of you. So that is what submission does not look like. So let's look at what submission does look like. And I want to show you this definition. This is, again, John Piper, um, and it's very good. Submission is the inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of the husband. It is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It is an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I am glad when you take responsibility for things and lead us with love. Listen to just key few words here submission is the inner quality the disposition the inclination and attitude peter's submission here is first a matter of the heart and whatever is inside of your heart will eventually play itself out in the situations that arise in your marriage right wives what is your attitude towards your husband my texas friend and i and i'm telling my wife it's ronnie um my Texas friend and I were talking about this passage, and he said, well, I guess if two people are riding together on a horse, or riding on a horse on a journey, I guess one of them has to sit in the front, don't they? And the answer is yes. And uh, Peter is telling wives here that it is God's good design for your husband to be the one that rides in the front. He is to take the lead. He is to take the initiative. And all of this is by God's good design. Ladies, here's something for you to think about. In the New Testament, the New Testament authors directly address wives four times. So wives and then comma, and here's what they say to wives, right? So four times this happens in the New Testament. It's Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus 2, and 1 Peter 3, our passage today. In every single one of these passages, every single one, Wives are explicitly commanded to submit to their husband's leadership. This is not just found in 1 Peter. This must be an important issue. Wives, so here are some hard questions. Do you allow your husband to lead? Does your husband know that you desire for him to take the lead? Wives, honestly, is your heart all right with allowing him to sit in the front of the horse? Do you affirm the leadership of your husband? And does your husband know that you actually affirm his leadership? 
think on these things and place them before the Lord as the week progresses. Okay, so Peter has given us the command. He's told us, he's told us what to do. And now he's going to come back and he's going to tell us the why. So wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. That's the command. Now Peter is going to spend the rest of his time in these six verses telling us about why the attitude of submission is so important. There's three reasons. One, submitting to your own husbands will lead them to Christ. Submitting to your husband is beautiful. And submitting to your husband makes you a daughter of Sarah. So let's look at the first one. Submitting to your husband will lead them to Christ. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, it says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, I want you to see the picture that Peter is painting here. Peter is telling us of one of the hardest situations that any female can be in where she loves and she strives to serve the Lord with all that she is, and yet her husband is an unbeliever. Pastors across this nation have had their counseling offices filled with women that have wept over this very heartbreaking situation. It is hard. It is not easy. These wives are heartbroken over a husband that isn't saved or one that has just begun, that is saved, that has just begun acting like an unbeliever and is rejecting God's word with her actions. This is no easy situation. But Peter is telling this wife that there is hope for salvation for their husband. Wives listening to this this morning, please listen to Peter's words. It is possible for you to lead your husband to Christ. And if your husband is saved, Peter's instructions will only help them grow in Christ all the more. Peter is telling us that a wife's lifestyle and attitude has the potential to win her husband over for the Lord. And if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So what is Peter saying right here? Is he saying that a wife does not need to spread the gospel or share the gospel or tell them the story of how Jesus loves them? No, that is not what Peter is saying here. Listen, the husband doesn't believe the words of God, so he probably won't be won over by the wife's words, right? Peter is reminding wives that their attitude and their way of living speak loudly to their husband. A long time ago, I heard this saying, and um, I, I love it. There's actually five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And most of the world is not ever going to get around to reading the first four. But they're going to spend a lot of time studying you. I want you to think about that. That's what Peter is saying right here. He's saying that our lifestyles and by the way that we live shares the gospel. How we live matters. Wives, your gentle attitude and pure and sweet spirit, it can win your husband to the Lord. You know, we often see the Great Commission as a call to travel overseas and spread the gospel to every nation. And it is, that is part of it. That is absolutely what Matthew 28 says. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Sometimes the Great Commission is about going overseas. But sometimes it's about what happens within our living rooms. 
wives, the way that you live can lead your husbands to Christ. Submitting your, this is second. Submitting to your husband is beautiful. 1 Peter 3, 3-4 says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothing. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. There may be no greater desire for a woman than for her to be beautiful. But our world has a messed up view of what beauty is, right? Have you guys ever seen those silly fashion shows where they're wearing some strange thing and like kind of strutting down the aisle? And I apologize if you are into that kind of thing, but I have most of those things I've never seen as beautiful. I've never seen one walking down the aisle or down the runway thinking, yeah, I'd like to get that. Um, it just doesn't happen. I, you know, I just think our world has a messed up view of what beauty is. But we're consumed by it, right? But we're also consumed with housewives. And you probably have heard of the reality show, and I hope that you don't watch it, but there's a reality show called The Real Housewives of Atlanta, Potomac, Beverly Hills, Dallas, Miami, and the list goes on and on. And it's a show that documents the lavish lifestyles of these women that live in these very high-class areas. These women are always dolled up, wearing the nicest of things. And I read that uh, one of the cast members of The Real Housewives of New Jersey, her name's Teresa, and I can't pronounce her last name, so I apologize, said that she spends $12,000 a year on hair care. $12,000 a year on hair care. Um, I mean, I think that cutting hair at great clips is expensive. Um, $12,000 a year on hair care. But I wasn't shocked with that when I heard of Erica, and I can't pronounce her last name either, of the Beverly Hills Real Housewives, and she estimates that she spends $40,000 a month, a month, on clothing, shoes, and accessories, $40,000 a month on that. Deviating from my notes for a second, our teenagers are watching this and they're eating this up on a large scale. This is a real issue. This is a real issue. But wives, listen to Peter's words right here. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothing. Wives, there is nothing that you can learn about true beauty from the Real Housewives reality show. There's nothing you can learn. The kind of outward beauty that they have will only fade. It will only lead, leave you. So where does true, everlasting beauty come from? Well, Peter tells us right here, he says, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The purpose for outward adornment is so that eyes will turn to you, right? The reason why you get dolled up and so that, so that you look like the real housewives of Atlanta is so that people see you, right? What Peter is telling you right here, what Peter is saying is so important. Don't miss this. He is telling us how to get eyes to turn to Christ. Beauty that will turn eyes 
to Christ. Peter isn't forbidding the wearing of jewelry or having stylish hair or having nice clothing. No, he's not doing that. But he is reminding us that these are not to be the source of our beauty. What what are you depending on for your beauty? Being gentle in the Bible means not insistent on one's own rights, not pushy or selfishly assertive, not demanding of one's own way. The word gentle only occurs three other times in the New Testament. Think about this. The word gentle only occurs three other times in the New Testament. And two of those times it refers specifically about Christ. Being gentle is not weak. Church, Christ was anything but weak. Church, when we are gentle with each other, we are displaying the strength of Christ. Know that you can be like Him. Know that I can be like Him. Why is this attitude of great worth in God's sight? Because having a gentle and quiet spirit reveals a heart not filled with anxiety, but a heart that trusts in the Lord. And don't we all as Christians want to have an attitude that is of great worth to God? You can have, you can have something that is of great worth to God. And that's a quiet and gentle spirit that trusts in Him and obeys His words. That is of great worth to our God. Finally, third here, submit to your husband makes you a daughter of Sarah. 1 Peter 3, 5-6 says, For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Peter here tells wives that submission to their husbands is nothing new. And there's a long line of faithful women who have come before them. He gives us the example of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and she too was a woman who placed her hope in God and adorned herself with gentleness. Peter wants you to see this as a beautiful honor. He wants you to see this as a beautiful honor. You too can be a daughter of Sarah. Being listed among the beautiful daughters of Sarah, isn't it a much greater honor to be listed with that than to be listed among the ladies found in the Real Housewives show? The last thing that I want you to see here is that Peter says that you will be a daughter of Sarah if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Another word for fear is anxieties, right? And both men and women, we deal with anxiety and stress. But Peter is telling us one way that we can relieve our anxieties is to be obedient to God in how we live. Let's not give way to our own fears and our own anxieties, but be committed to the guidance of a holy God. Later in in Peter's book, in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There is no, listen ladies and men, there is no greater cure for your anxiety than to place your trust in Christ. Dear Christian, cast your anxieties upon the Lord and trust in Him. Hide yourself deep within His commands and watch your anxieties and fear fade. 
All right, men, here we are. We're in verse 7. We're at the end. All right, husbands, this is addressed to us. And before we read this passage, I need to ask a very serious question. I want to set this up right. How would you feel if your prayers were actively hindered? You know, your prayers just bouncing off the ceiling. You pray and you pray and you call out to the Lord. And you just don't feel anything. All you get is this silence from God. And I think for Christian men and women, that might be, our, should be, our biggest fear. We just don't hear from our God anymore. This verse that we're reading, it serves as a warning. So I want to start off with this. Men, husbands, the way you treat your wife will directly impact your relationship with God. Men, the way you treat your wife will directly impact your relationship with God. Let's read it. 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, we are to lead our wives in considerate ways. This is what Peter is saying. This means that we constantly need to check ourselves. Are we being harsh? Are we being domineering? Are we being selfish? Emotionally insensitive? Critical? Overbearing? Are we talking down to them? Condescending? Bossy? These are the things that we need to ask ourselves often. Being considerate means that we are careful not to cause inconvenience or even hurt. Consideration has a wide range because people and marriages are very different, right? Consideration in your marriage could be as small as picking up your clothing off the floor. And my wife is raising her eyebrows and smiling. It could be as big as talking through a a large purchase with your wife. But the point of this, consideration, it may look different from couple to couple and person to person, but this is what Peter is saying. Men, don't be oblivious to your wife's needs. Don't be oblivious to what it is that your wife needs from you. Consider her and live with her as your partner. Peter is reminding us here that we do have a partner. It is a God-given partner. And Peter says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. In your translation, if you're reading it, it actually may say weaker vessel. That's the translation that I grew up hearing. And I prefer this translation because it carries the idea that both men and women are God's creation right we are his vessel and the new testament talks about this often it's how it refers to our bodies god has crafted each of us and he intends to use us according to his plan so men you are vessels women you are vessels so when peter says that women are the weaker vessel he does not mean weaker in character or moral integrity or intelligence or wisdom or even spiritual maturity he is not saying that Peter is simply recognizing the physical differences between a man and a woman. So let me give you an illustration. In my house, we do a lot of dishes. 
a lot of dishes. And as boys come in, I have to train them how to do the dishes. We have to figure out who's going to be doing the dishes, making sure that they're done right. And I have one of my boys with me today, and he's shaking his head over there like, yeah, yeah, we do a lot of dishes. Dishes are always a task that the guys are trying to get done as fast as humanly possible. And for men, even like teenage men, when we have a task set in front of us and we want to get it done, all consideration goes out the window. We see the finish line and we shoot for it because we want to be done and move on, right? But if we're not careful in the process, things can get hurt and damaged. And so with me today, I have two different vessels. I have a cast iron skillet and a beautiful baking dish. Now, which one of these do you think I'm going to tell my guys to be the most careful with? Which one of these do you think I'm going to tell them, hey, be gentle with that? Now, not, not too long ago, we had a boy um, that I love dearly, but in his hurry to get the task completed, all consideration and gentleness were forgotten and thrown out the window, and he was hurried up, and he broke my wife's baking dish, and you can see there's a little chip out of it. It was an accident, and he felt horrible, but the fact remains that this vessel will forever bear the scar of a momentary lack of gentleness. It will always bear the scar of a momentary lack of consideration. If the same action was taken upon the cast iron skillet, we wouldn't have a sermon illustration this morning, would we? Men, treat your wives gently as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. The wife that you have is equal with you in Christ. She is not less than. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And Peter and Paul are in full agreement here. They're saying the same thing. Her standing with Christ is as equal as yours is. Men, I started this section talking about how this verse serves as a warning. And let me kind of explain to you how it does serve as a warning. And before I ask this question, how many of you have daughters? In the first service, it was almost like every man's hand went up. Men, how would you respond if you found out that a guy in your daughter's life was treating her unkind or harshly, or inconsiderately, overbearingly, selfishly, insensitively? How would you treat this guy? How, what, would you, what would your attitude be like to him? What would your disposition to this man be if you knew that he was treating her this way? What if he asked you a favor of you? Would you be inclined to listen? May you and I, men, may you and I never forget that we are married to one of God's precious daughters. Don't let your treatment of your wife hinder your prayers. Don't be fooled. Don't think for a second that you can mistreat your wife and it not have an impact on your relationship with your God. Be considerate and respect her as an heir with you 
in Christ. There is so much more that can be said about this passage and probably stuff that needs to be said in a sermon on this. But here's the main gist. Wives, love your husband. Husbands, love your wife. Guys, there is no greater way for you to love your spouse than for you to live a life in full submission to God's Word. There's no greater way that you can love your spouse than for you to fully submit to God's Word. You have a God-given partner. You both have an opportunity to follow in Christ's example and live sacrificially for each other. Now I'm going to leave you with some words of a song. It's one of my favorite songs by a man named Andrew Peterson. It's called Dancing in the Minefields. And it talks about marriage and how incredibly difficult it is, but also how incredibly beautiful it is at the same time. So you've got dancing, which is the beautiful part, and you have the minefields, which is the difficult part, right? But I want you to listen to these lyrics, and I want you to consider how beautiful your marriage is. And I want you to think about this. People that are not married yet, this applies to you. People that have been married for one day, this applies to you. People that have been married for 60 years, this applies. And we're dancing in the minefields, we're sailing in the storms, and this is harder than we dreamed, but I believe that's what the promise is for. That's what the promise is for. So when I lose my way, find me. When I loose love's chains, bind me. And at the end of all my faith, to the end of all my days, when I forget my name, remind me. This is where it gets good. Because we bear the light of the Son of Man, so there's nothing left to fear. So I'll walk with you in the shadow lands till all these shadows disappear. Because He promised not to leave us and His promises are true. So in the face of all this chaos, baby, I can dance with you. So let's go dancing in the minefields. Let's go sailing in the storms. Oh, this is harder than we dreamed. But I believe that's what the promise is for. That's what the promise is for. Church, listen. Because you bear the light of the Son of Man. And there is nothing left for you to fear. So walk with your partner in the shadow lands till all these shadows disappear in the light of our, our glorious Savior. Because He promised not to leave you and His promises are true. So in the face of all this worldly chaos that we see, go and dance with the partner that God has given to you. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is powerful and convicting. Lord, I... uh, I have loved studying this. Father, I pray that if there is anyone in here that does not know what submission is to Your Son, that today would be the day. Lord, we talked about submission to our husbands, wives submitting to their husbands in the service. But Father, I pray for those who have yet to surrender to Your Son. May today be the day. Lord, we love you and we know that you are at work in us. 
May we live a life of surrender to your Son. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.